Welcome to McDonald's. What can I get you today? Hi, she'll have the quarter pounder with cheese, extra mustard, no pickles, and I'll have a 10-piece chicken McNuggets. And, and two sides, sides of ranch, please. The we've done this before meal. Get it at McDonald's when you get two of your faves for just six bucks. Limited time only. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply that proves that award season really is a year-round event. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with Vanity Fair's film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And we're down, Mike, this week, but uh, we're gaining a very special guest for our anniversary tribute to the 1996 Oscars. I know you all have your cakes and 96 Oscars decorations ready this week. It's, it's I've had them ready for 20 years. Oh, yeah, I yeah. know. It's an event. They took place 20 years ago this week, and uh, recently Richard recapped the 96 Oscars at VanityFair.com, which uh, we'll share a link to. And we're going to be going over the highlights of that event and be joined by Christine Lottie, who is an Oscar-nominated actress and who won an Oscar that night in a category that you probably do not think she won an Oscar in because that's the fun of the Oscars. It wasn't sound mixing, though. <laughs> well, that, that's still to come. <laughs> yeah. From there, we'll talk about this week's big new release, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, which stars a whole lot of Oscar nominees and winners, but does it do them any justice? Oh, God, that's a pun. I'm keeping it. <laughs> but first, we're going to take a look at This Week in Oscar News, which is going to be a recurring segment in this offseason. Uh, it's still pretty thin for any news about actual Oscar season, which is how we like it. But I do think it's interesting that uh, A24 recently picked up The Lobster, which is this movie from this Greek director, Yorgos Lanthimos. And um, it had a different distributor. It was supposed to have opened a week or two ago. Then all of a sudden, these emails went out saying it has a new release date. Stay tuned. Yeah. So now it's coming out in May, which is a little bit more of an awardsy release date than March, like kind of yeah. in a in a slight way. And it's been picked up by A24, which is fresh off of three Oscar wins, which I think is pretty big news. Richard, you saw The Lobster, I think, at Cannes last year. I did, almost a year from when it will be opening in the U.S. And yeah. when it was announced that it was going to be opening, not last year's award season, but yeah. this year, I think we got the sense that maybe it was a little too odd to be an Oscar play. But should we be considering it that way now? I think it definitely stands a chance um, in the quote-unquote smaller categories. I think it's screenplay. Mm -hmm. It's a very inventive, almost kind of Charlie Kaufman-esque world set in sort of the near future. And I think that it could have a chance there. There's a dim possibility that some of the supporting performances, Olivia Coleman, who people Mm. love from the series Broadchurch, the British series, has a great small role as a sort of administrator of this weird hotel for single people. But yeah, I mean, I think that the May release date has worked well for some things in the past. I think before Midnight, the Richard Linklater movie. Yeah, um, Grand Budapest Hotel. I mean, well, that, that was earlier, even earlier, yeah. yeah. But I think that well, that was February, but I think, and I think March and April are sort of a little bit of a dead zone sometimes. So, so May, maybe May makes more sense. Well, maybe it's like, basically better to this movie to not put Oscar hopes on it because yeah. it's kind of an odd duck. So. And it's great counter-programming to all these big movies like Batman vs. Superman that are coming out. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's the week after the new Captain America movie comes out I think, and something else I'm sure big is that weekend. Yeah, certain people will be ready to see a very sort of interior and, and bittersweet but more bitter uh, comedy <laughs> about how awful it is to be single. Yeah, sure. Well, May 13th is also, interestingly, the release date of Money Monster, which is a new film directed by Jodie Foster that has been announced that it will open Cannes. And Kung yeah. Fu Panda has opened Cannes. Like, the Inside mm-hmm. Out did it last year. Like, it's not no, always... No, Inside a... Out screened at Cannes, oh. but Mad Max opened Cannes last oh, year. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. well, that's a bad example. I was going to say, yeah. opening Cannes is not always a sign of Oscar hopes. Well, it, uh... it isn't. I mean, you know, uh, like, some of the movies that screen, especially at Cannes, are like, you know, The Expendables or whatever. You know, like, mm-hmm. they 
they do this kind of a random thing where they kind of do a, one, a couple years on where they're doing big serious movies. But you know, last year when they announced that Mad Max was going to be opening can, no one really knew that it was going to be this masterpiece. No, no one made you anything know? of it. Right. So we, I, I managed to catch it right before I went to France last year, and um, and and was like, oh, there's something here. And so it had a bit more of a presence at the festival last year than it, people expected it to. So we'll see with Money Monster. I mean, it's a very different kind of movie. I think one thing about it that's odd as a can choice in some ways is that it seems to be a very American story. Mm-hmm. It's, it's George Clooney as like a Jim Cramer style financial analyst on television, like right. all the shouting of cable news. Yeah, which, which I, you know, they have cable news over there, but I think it, it exists a little bit differently as do sort of the financial realities of today. So I don't know. I'm, I'm eager to see it. I hope to see it before I leave, but... Uh, oh yeah, you're going to Cannes. We can, uh, people can look forward to that. On yeah, the- yeah. The lineup for the Films in competition won't be announced for a few more weeks because they like to keep you sweating and guessing about it. But um, but at least we know this. So um, yeah. so that's you know for cynical purposes there will be movie stars at Cannes this year. So that's, <laughs> that's exciting. That's always makes for good photos at the yeah, very least. Exactly. Okay, picture it. It's March 25th, 1996. Braveheart is nominated for 10 Oscars. Kate Winslet is nominated for the first time for Sense and Sensibility. Whoopi Goldberg is hosting for the second time. And Sharon Stone is the queen of the reaction shot. Oh, boy, was she ever. (laughs) Richard, you recapped the 96 Oscars. This has become a a tradition. You've been doing these look backs at uh, Oscar ceremonies from the 90s every Oscar year. Yeah, it's sort of technically a grueling task just because it's a lot of screenshots and timestamps and all that. And you're watching like a DVD copy from a VHS. And there are better quality videos on YouTube, but they're not the whole show. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of, and I think that the graininess actually lends a certain sort of. Yes. um, Especially when you're screenshotting like the ads for the made for TV movies that were on in between like the Barbara Walters special. Whoever. So I get, actually, you know, this is some inside scoop. I, I get, I get these DVDs from our frequent guest, Joe Reed. And so whoever he got them from kept in a few commercials <laughs> just I think for posterity's sake so so that's been fun but yeah I think that what it's really interesting is is seeing how the show was different because I you know this was starting about when I was you know 13 12 13 years old and I was watching I was really watching the Oscars myself and I remember them at the time being you know as contemporary up to date modern you know fresh as anything else and now it's like oh boy I mean the the 1996 Oscars has in addition to Sharon Stone who was nominated for Casino that year just having the time of her life and she's just enjoying it in a way that like I feel like too many celebrities pretend they aren't and, and we should say that she responded to you on Twitter after you did. tweeted about this she followed me on Twitter on oh, Oscar man. night this year she tweeted out the link to the recap and said I hope that nominees tonight are having as much fun as I had 20 years ago See? I mean she's just a class act so yeah. uh, but you know looking at it from Sharon Stone obviously was is the highlight but like you know they had this they tried to do the costume design awards as a fashion show featuring all the top supermodels <laughs> of the era because we had supermodels back then I, it's not a bad idea honestly like if they no, brought out Gigi Hadid well that's or... the thing is that we now have supermodels again we I didn't know. we didn't for a while and now they're now the new generations here but like yeah then it was like it was Naomi Campbell and Tyra Banks and Mark Schenkenberg and uh, you know all kinds of people so that was kind of funny and you know there's some really hokey musical performances and some great hair and some great old couples um, 
Brad Pitt is introduced, but not Gwyneth Paltrow because she was just kind of oh, hitting yeah. big. Oh, yeah. Seven came out like a year or like mm-hmm. months later. Yeah. So um, that's kind of fun. But one of the kind of, uh, I think, wonderful bits of trivia from the 1996 Oscars is that Christine Lottie, an actress we associate with television, uh, she's won an Emmy and Golden Globes, you know, for, for Chicago Hope and uh, various other things. But she won an Oscar uh, that night um, for a, a live action short film. And she was gracious enough to get us on the phone. So I think that we should maybe just go to that. Yeah, and- Christine can talk about it way better than we can because she was actually there. Yeah. So let's go to that. Christine, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. Hi. So can you take us back 20 years and tell us a little bit about uh, how you got to that to that Oscar ceremony and that win? Um, what was the genesis of, of this short film that you made? Yes, it was a program for Showtime that Janet Memel at the time was running called, I think it was by actors or something. Anyway, it was a series of short films that she produced for Showtime directed by well-known actors. And it gave a lot of first-time directors their shot. I was one of them. And I had developed this short story initially just to perhaps act in and maybe be a TV movie or a a small indie film. And then when Janice said, well, do you have anything to you want to direct? I said, well, look at this. And she looked at it and she said, well, not only are you going to direct this, but you have to act in it too. Mm -hmm. So that, that was like, you know, came from the heavens. It just dropped into my lap. So it was actually a kind of dry time for me acting wise. I just had twins and I thought, well, why not try this? And then, of course, everybody said, you can't act in this and direct it. And I said, I'm not giving this part to anybody else. Sorry. It's, I had developed it for myself. I'm not. It's a great, funny, comedic, sexy part. Nobody was casting me in funny, sexy parts. So I, I said, I'm going to star in it and I'm going to direct it. And then it turned out pretty well. Yeah, I should say so. So it, so it was originally, it was made for Showtime. But when did it enter into this sort of... Oscar conversation. I mean, did you, I mean, was it a conscious choice, obviously, on your part to submit it, or, or how did that all work? I think they, they submitted all these short films, which was part of this series. You know, they, it had to play for a week in theaters, and then uh, it was submitted by them for Oscar consideration. So, I mean, how did you feel when that became eligible? I mean, you make a short film, you want to give yourself a good part, but like, was there an Oscar nomination ever in your mind when you put it all together? It had occurred to me only because my one of my best friends had the same experience. He had done a chant. It was called Chanticleer at Showtime, and he had done a Chanticleer film and also won an Oscar for it. Oh, so wow. it was kind of in the back of my mind, but it wasn't certainly not something I was thinking about while I was doing it. It was, it was really a, a extraordinary experience getting to direct for the first time, and um, it was funny because I'm married to a director, a very well known director named Tommy Schlamy, who has an extraordinary resume of directing a million great things like All the West Wings and mm-hmm. Video 60 and, and the list goes on. And he was so supportive that night. And all these people would come up to him and say, aren't you so proud of Christine? And say, oh, yes, yes, yes. And then finally a really good friend came up to him and said, are you pissed? <laughs> <laughs> he said, yes, this is ridiculous. How did this happen? First time, first out, of time out of the gate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Now, you had been nominated as an actress for Swing Shift in mm-hmm. the 80s. And um, so w- w- how is the experience different as a filmmaker versus an acting nominee? Was there any sort of noticeable difference or was it all kind of the same mad swirl of luncheons and all that stuff? <laughs> um, you know, it wasn't 
so mad and swirly back 20 years ago, yeah. honestly. It was it, like it is today. I mean, the, the hoopla today is kind of over the top, I would say. And you guys know probably better than I do because I haven't really been in, you know, involved with all the parties and the 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 campaigns. Oh, oh my yeah, God, the campaigns. Yeah. So it was it was much more low key, both when I was nominated as an uh, as an actress and also as a director. But I do remember I don't remember any distinctions between them really. So when we go to the actual night of the awards, I think you were you were up against uh, Jeff Goldblum was in your category too. Is that right? Uh-huh. Was there a sense of competition uh, going into the evening? Like, how did you have any expectation in that regard? No, Jeff, Jeff Goldblum and I are good friends, and I believe we'd already worked together, or we were about to. We did a movie together called Hideaway, and then also Griffin Dunn and I were friends, because he produced Running on Empty many, oh, many right, years ago, right. that Sidney Lamette had directed. So we were friends, and I think it was, it was all just fun and, you know, pretend kind of competition. Hmm. Um, I didn't have, I mean, it was it was certainly not seriously... Like I've got to get this. It was none of no, none of us felt that, at least at least from my point of view. Well, then, how did you feel when your name actually got called? Did you uh, did you feel less prepared because it was so uh, uncompetitive? No, no. I I wrote a speech. I think we all wrote speeches just just because I, I don't know why I you have wouldn't. To. Right? <laughs> yeah, why wouldn't you write a speech? You you know it's going to be either you or four other people. That's it. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I wrote a speech for the the time I was nominated for Best Supporting Actress as well. But yeah, when my name was called, it was just you know thrilling, and it was it was funny because the first time I was nominated for an Oscar for the for the acting award, you know, yeah, I had read all the okay, the odds are this, and here's who who is expected to win, and there was a little of that going on still, and people picked their favorites and who should win, who will win, you know those. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of the favorite, so I was thinking, well, this this is what this might happen. And both of my legs were asleep. I don't know how that <laughs> happened. You know, I, so had my name been called, I literally think I would have had to crawl up to the stage because I, I you know, how you have to kind of wait a second while the blood comes back to your feet. Oh yeah. So, so it was just it was so funny because I thought as they're as they're about to announce the, the winner. I'm panicking, thinking, if they call my name, I can't go up there. I don't know how I crossed my legs too tight or something because I have no circulation in my legs right now. So I wasn't really relieved when Peggy Ashcroft's name was called, but there was a part of me that was happy I didn't have to crawl. Well, clearly your Oscar was destined for you about 10 years later. It's, uh, it was just waiting yeah, for you down exactly. the road. Do you remember giving your speech? I know a lot of people say that they, you know, they get off the stage and they're like, oh, my God, what just happened? No, I don't remember much of what happened. I do remember that Jana and I had decided how much time we were each going to take because it was so specific. And they had just started, I think, the, you know, you can only have 24 seconds or whatever it mm-hmm. is. So we had divvied it up and there was a, you know, it was all kind of decided. That's what I remember, but I don't remember what I said or much about it. it. You are kind of, or I was kind of out of my body. So then what did you do after? Did you go to the, all the parties? And... Yeah, yeah. Afterwards, we went to the governor's ball. The first time I was nominated, I was with my parents. And that was that was really fun because my mom was such a, such a kind of, uh, I don't know, just 
kind of overwhelmed by all the, the Hollywood stars. I think I think it was Gregory Peck or somebody came up to her and said, "Aren't you? Is this a great night for you? Your daughter nominated." And she said, "Well, it's a great night for me that I got to meet you." Something <laughs> like that. He was so starstruck. And uh, for this one, for the directing. I think I just went with my husband and we went to the Governor's Ball and then we went to, I think we went to Sardi's. Yeah, I remember they wouldn't let me in. I had a, they had the Oscar in my hand and for some reason we had to go around through the kitchen. I don't remember too much about it. It was a long time ago, but uh, <laughs> I do remember going to several parties after the Governor's Ball and I carried the Oscar with me. I still carry it around my neck. It's it's heavy. I have a. It's like on a chain, mm-hmm. and it, it's heavy. No, I don't. gives you neck strength. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where where does yeah. the Oscar live in your house or office? Well, right now our house is under construction. It's in a box, and mm-hmm. I were in a rental house about five minutes away. I haven't seen the Oscar for a while. When I was when the kids were young, they my daughter would dress up my Emmy and my Oscar. <laughs> my Emmy had Barbie clothes on it. All the time. My Oscar had Ken doll clothes on it. Mm. And that seemed fitting and kind of adorable and, you know, took away some of the gravitas, which is, I think, important because there are, they are, you know, they're wonderful, but they're also silly in a way because really, what is it? It's, it doesn't really change anything except you have a wonderful night and you have, you know, it's a boost in the arm, a shot in the arm of encouragement and support. But I loved when they were dressed up in their little clothes. And then when they grew up, the clothes came down and they were just in their, all their naked gr- glory on my mantle. <laughs> that that sounds like an appropriate, like, life cycle for for these awards. Yeah. You know? <laughs> exactly. Now they're just naked and, and owning it and loving it. So you, uh, <laughs> we, I, in some ways, hate to ask you about this, but I feel like we are duty bound to. You have another <laughs> award. You have a famous Golden Globe Award. <laughs> I'm not sure what you're. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how often does that, do people ask you about that? Or, or, or uh, if anyone of our, our listeners don't know, Ms. Lottie won a Golden Globe uh, for Chicago, Chicago Hope, I believe, and you were in the bathroom when your name was called as a winner. So do, do, does that get brought up a lot with you these days, or? or? Every single time <laughs> I do an interview, it's brought up. I've been writing stories. I've been writing um, original nonfiction essays, stories about my life. And one of them is about that night and just what that, you know, all the specifics of, of how I felt and how that happened. But, but briefly, it was that I didn't, I looked in the program and I, it said order of awards to be presented. And I saw that my category was towards the very end. So I thought I had time and, you know, those, oh, that Golden Globe award show is so long and I couldn't really eat. You can't, I can't drink. If I'm going to speak, I can't have even a sip of wine. I just wanted to be really, you know, present. And so I just thought, oh, I'll just split and go hang out with my girlfriend in the restroom. And then I had this really queasy feeling like, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I'm going to go back in. Kathy, uh, my girlfriend was in there. And I'll I'll meet you back in the ballroom. So I'm heading back, and this woman who's coming out of the ballroom says, oh, you just won. (laughs) And I thought, that is such a terrible joke, not even funny, (laughs) ha, ha, ha. She said, no, 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 you you did. You just won. And I said, no, 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 no. You see, my category was in the very last. And no, 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 you just won for Best Supporting Actress. Sorry. And then I thought, okay, 
I'm, I'm dying. So I walked in and there was Robin Williams vamping on the stage because they knew they would move on. He knew that they would move on unless he did that. So he was improvising this, this incredible monologue. This for cloning. <laughs> Our people in the Deep South say we've had cloning. It's called Cousins. All right, and then I came on and, and I grabbed his napkin and wiped my hands and went up to the, <laughs> to the uh, microphone and, and apologized to my mom, which was the first thing that came to my, mom, my mind. Just, sorry, mom, I was in the bathroom because she, she, she had passed away, but I knew that in my mind she was saying, why were you in the bathroom when you, when you won an award? You can't be in the bathroom. Anyways, the, uh, long story short, or a uh, long story a little uh, less long, I, I looked at the program after that and saw that there was an asterisk, and I didn't see that before. And in the asterisk, it said, order of awards to be presented subject to change. Oh, dear. And I, they changed it on me. Of course. Um, well, yeah. I, I remember it's being this wonderfully human moment in a sea of kind of glamour. And not that you winning wasn't glamorous, but and you, <laughs> you looked lovely, of course. But, you know, it was just a very nice uh, human kind of thing. So, I, yeah, I, I, it's a great, I think a lot of fans of award shows, it's a great memory for them. Well, I'm glad to hear that. But, it, but it's, it's funny because in my story, the last line is, I will have this, when I die, I will have this whole body of work as, you know, hopefully a serious actress and director and maybe writer. And, and yet there'll be only one thing on my tombstone. Christine Lottie, she was in the bathroom when she won her Golden Globe. <laughs> no, I, that, I, That's what I'm going to be known for. <laughs> well, I think that's probably a good place to end it. So I thank you, Christine, so much for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. It was fun. Thank you. Thanks again to Christine Lottie, who is an Oscar winner for the short film Lieberman in Love and a nominee for Swing Shift. She won her Golden Globe, her famous Golden Globe for Chicago Hope, and her Emmy that wore clothes for a while for Chicago Hope as well. And thank you so much to Christine for joining us. So if it were November, we would definitely not be talking about Batman versus Superman in terms of Oscar context. But it is March and Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice is the movie coming out this week. And Lord knows this thing might get a visual effects nomination somewhere down the road or who knows what. But uh, the response to this movie has not been that great so far. It's a Zack Snyder movie, uh, Man of Steel, I think got pretty negative critical reviews as well. So maybe this isn't a huge surprise. But Richard, is Batman versus Superman worth people's time more than other reviews might suggest? Well, I would say in terms of its Oscar chances, it might get nominated for most special effects. <laughs> Not necessarily best. <laughs> I don't know. The but, year is young. You yeah, never know. That's true. No, I mean, I was really down on Man of Steel. I think that it's one thing to have three Batman movies that are sort of in, in set in this very serious, dour tone. But once you get Superman, who's a flying alien who can shoot lasers out of his eyes. Wears in a big the mix, red cape. Wears a big tights. red cape and a big ass. Like it, that, this kind of really like humorless, self-serious tone doesn't really work. And so Man of Steel, I think, suffered for that. And also because it's just this senseless melee of destruction that a whole city is basically raised you know and and but and, and kind of qui bono like what what are we really watching mm-hmm. um and uh you know so i i went into uh, batman v superman colon dawn of justice uh, with some trepidation and a lot of those similar problems are there the self serious tone the sort of like why you know the the kind of murky motivation like why is anyone do, trying to do this why are batman and superman fighting oh my god the question i kept i, I was felt like such an idiot riding the subway being like but guys why does batman want to fight superman right. and like 
no one really had a good answer. And we had no. just seen a two and a half hour movie about it. Yeah, there's a thin, thin sort of, you know, which actually kind of brings me to the what I liked about the movie. There is a thin line of sort of of questioning about like the the need, the necessity of superheroes, the safety of their existence. It's a kind of mulling over of these sort of broader you know questions about um, what 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 would society do if some you know avenging superhero came in from space? Yeah, which is um, yeah. And Batman is sort of represents the negative side of it. He's like, you know, this is dangerous, and I want to stop him. But then it takes on this weird personal dimension mm-hmm. that the movie. I don't think sells really well, convincingly. I, I, this sounds like a cliche coming from an Oscar season podcast, but I swear the parts with Holly Hunter in them are the most interesting in terms yeah, of themes because exactly. she's playing the senator who's kind of doing this inquiry into Superman and saying, "Hey, this guy fought another alien over a city and destroyed a bunch of people." I mean, it's it's a it's kind of a meta commentary on the way people reacted to Man of Steel, which is which is interesting. But she's raising these questions, and in a way, she's kind of allying herself with Lex Luthor, which is not a great idea. But she's bringing up these things that you it makes you want to watch kind of a civic drama set in a world of superheroes where exactly. you're watching people deal with this. And I, I've heard that TV's Gotham is not what that is, even though I would no, watch that show. It had that potential. Um, no, I, and I think that's exactly right. And I think civic drama is a great phrase like for that because that's the stretch of the movie. I would say it's maybe about 25 minutes, mm-hmm. 30 minutes, somewhere toward the middle where where really Holly Hunter's character is representing the sort of Senate that that's, wants to question Superman. And then there are all these other issues, partly raised by Bruce Wayne, but not as compellingly as by other people. They have a lot of talking heads, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Andrew Sullivan, Charlie Rose, talking yeah, Andrew about... Andrew Sullivan was the one that yeah, really... Yeah, it's like, whoa, okay, good, well, good for him. Um, <laughs> Anderson Cooper. Yeah, Anderson Cooper, Soledad O'Brien. Oh, Nancy um, Grace, too. Nancy Grace, they really, yeah. It's, a, it's a, quite a crowd. Yeah, but, you know, but it, it creates this sort of, like, you wonder, like, Man, it would be actually really cool to watch a movie that took place in a world where superheroes existed, but didn't sort of necessitate some, you know, huge battle sequence that makes no sense at the end, mm-hmm. you know, that feels all deus ex machina. Yeah. Where it was just like, I mean, I guess maybe there's an argument to be made that parts of Watchmen, which Zack Snyder also directed, yes. which I mentioned in my review, but it, it, like maybe there's some of that element in there. But like even then, it, it doesn't it doesn't take focus where... And look, I don't think a movie, a studio is going to back a $150 million movie that's about, like, you know, people talking in rooms about yes. superheroes. Yeah. But I don't know. I would watch it. But what this movie made me think of was The Dark Knight, which is in some ways is where all of this was born. I mean, yeah, Batman Begins was the first dark Nolan Batman, but, but The Dark Knight was this huge hit. And the most impressive visual effect in that movie that everyone remembers is a semi-truck flipping over. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. was it blew people away. People applaud in the middle of the room. And, you know, it cost – I can't imagine how much that cost compared to the price of – the giant monster who shows up at the end of this movie. Right. And that was a practical effect. Yeah, and, and that movie yeah. in some ways is that civic drama that you're talking about. Yeah, like right. it comes down to the stakes all amongst actual human beings yeah. who and like one ship full of people who might blow each other up. It's really so low stakes compared to what we've been bludgeoned with in a way for years with the current superhero movie wave. Yeah, and I think that I don't know if it's you know, I don't want to really speculate about whether it's Snyder or whether it's studio pressure from Warner Brothers in DC, but like Batman v Superman does feel this need to I mean well I guess bringing Superman in just by you know by dint of him being an alien sort of brings in these sort of yes. cosmic elements but you know there does feel like the 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 film feels pressured almost to expand its universe to sort of match the Avengers. Well, that you know? happens very blatantly at some at yeah. certain point. And it's yeah. called Dawn of Justice. Like it's very clearly being set up as the start of a Justice League series which right. is DC's equivalent of Avengers. Yeah, and I just but I just don't know that that we're going to be able to do four, five, six, who knows how many movies in this tone. 
Oh yeah, it's just it's exhausting. And well, and and so Wonder Woman shows that. That's not a spoiler. She does, She's no. in the trailers. Yeah. Um, and she is really interesting. I think Gal Gadot was a real blank slate for me. I didn't know what to expect from her, but yeah. I thought she was really delightful, especially when she emerges in her Wonder Woman costume. And uh, I agree. You get this hint about when her movie is set, which I think was public knowledge, but I didn't know. Right. And I, it made me really intrigued to see a movie about her that doesn't have to do this. It doesn't have to be about brooding men. It doesn't have to be about cities or. And modern right. security <laughs> concerns or anything. Yeah, cities. Yeah, exactly. No, and I, I think that um, she's firmly a supporting character in yes, the movie. Yes, she's but, a very small part. But watching her and then comparing her to... And look, Ben Affleck does a fine job as Batman, but um, just like, oh, I don't give a shit about <laughs> this rich, sad guy who like does bad things. Like, who we've I, you know, seen like, like eight movies like, about in the last decade. And we get in, in the beginning... I'm not, I don't think this is a spoiler. We get a sort of montage origin story for Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne, and it's like, I have seen that 7,000 times. I yeah. don't need to see it again. I would. I mean, I know we're going to get it in, in, in her own movie, right? That is happening. Yeah, yeah. No, the, um, yeah, there's going to be a Wonder like, Woman movie. It's just, you know, just the tantalizing bits that we see of her in, in this movie. It's like, oh, for God's sakes, like, let's at least do that. Like, that's something new that we haven't yes. seen before. Just um, like the sight of a woman wielding superpowers. Like, I realize yeah. how rare that is. I mean, the X-Men yeah. movies have done it more. Like, you had Scarlet Witch in Avengers, kind of, yeah. her powers. But, you know, Wonder Woman's got a golden lasso. It's cool. Yeah, she's like toe-to-toe. So, yeah. and, and she's stronger than Batman, so. Yeah, um, I do, I like Ben Affleck as Batman, too. I yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. I feel like I could watch more movies with him. I mean, he's, he's kind of an asshole, which... Is kind of what Batman is. Like mm-hmm. it fits it. And I do like the sense of, of history that they've kind of wo- that they wove into this movie, where you know he and uh, Bruce and Alfred, played by Jeremy Irons, uh, keep referencing you know fight years, tw- twenty years of crime fighting, and blah, blah, all this stuff. And that it's like, oh, so there's history here, and I think that's interesting and cool. That like the idea of like an older, wearier, angrier Batman, mm-hmm. but like. But that history is so vague. Yeah, so vague. And there's, his motivation is really muddled. And, yeah. And there's a really, I'm not going to spoil it, but you know, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, Katie. There is the silliest of connections <laughs> that finally forges Batman to Superman together. Yeah. Um, that, uh, you know, I can't believe it of all the possibilities in the world, I that's know. what they went with. Yeah, there's this implication that Batman's been fighting crime for a long time. You see uh, evidence of the Joker in his past and kind of get that there's a backstory there. But we don't know what the people of Gotham think of him if you know there's all this stuff about Superman's public image nothing about Batman like mm-hmm. there was no mention of Batman in Man of Steel even though Gotham is literally across the river from Metropolis it's literally like of... Jersey City like, yeah that's exactly what it's not like it's you know a Metro North ride away it's no, literally like, like a ferry yeah right there <laughs> yeah and like they're you know Batman and Superman are so interesting together because Batman is a detective he's this human he's like mm-hmm. operating on like a very individual level and Superman is on this globe saving level and watching that contrast between them should be so interesting, but the way that those characters developed and kind of pushed toward each other never pays that off, especially when it comes time for them to fight. You're just like, just have a conversation, guys, and you'll figure this out. Like, because you know they have to team up. Like, everyone knows Batman and Superman wind up in the Justice League, which is what this movie's establishing. And so to make a conflict between them interesting, you really had to give you, uh, you know, make more human stakes involved, which didn't happen. You know, that said, I don't think that the movie, I think it's a a vast improvement on Man of Steel in in a lot of ways. I find myself, despite myself, despite my sort of continued annoyance with these superhero movies where they feel like every movie is just an ad for the next one, mm-hmm. um, I did find in the little you know, little teasing bits about what we're gonna, what's coming next, I did find myself kind of like, oh, that's because we get a few glimpses of some other some other folks too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I found myself interested, if nothing else, out of just sort of curiosity to yeah. see what this looks like because we're about to enter a realm. With Superman, with Wonder Woman, with other members of the Justice League that um, really strain 
this sort of credibility. Yes, it, it's you know. not realism. Like, you know, Batman, yeah. Nolan's Batman was like, this could all happen in the real world with yeah. someone with enough money. And like, right. we are beyond that now. I mean, the joke, the big joke in one entire two seasons of Entourage was that they were making an Aquaman movie because how silly that would be. Well, hey, <laughs> we're about I mean, to find Jason out. Momoa has been cast as Aquaman. Like, has, that is yeah. public knowledge. So, so uh, look um, forward to that. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm I, I'm I'm weirdly I wouldn't say optimistic, but I am weirdly curious about what's coming next. Which you know, as a moving part of a bigger machine, is probably what the studio would hope for from this movie. Like, it, yeah. it, I'm I will go see the next one. I'm very yeah. curious if it makes as much money as Deadpool, which is the big superhero surprise hit of the year so far. Yeah. Um, and it's it's outgrossed Man of Steel already. It's The stakes for that one were so low and the stakes for this one are so high that mm-hmm. there's such an interesting contrast. And I just wonder, I wonder if, you know, people are going to say to their friends, oh, man, you got to see Batman fight Superman because that, you know, the, that whole hook of the movie is so thrown in with this big blender of plot points and characters that don't. Yeah gel the way that they need and you know and story is not always the most important thing in superhero movies but I think in this case it detracts a lot from the impact they're going for yeah and I don't know you know I'm not the best judge or really judge at all of what is really fan service in any of these movies. I, I don't know what nods or illusions yeah, they're either. making. And so I guess we would have to have, you have to talk to an expert on on, on those matters, like how they align with comic books and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I will say from my perspective, there was enough in this movie that I felt was that were nods to the to the comic book fans where I was just like, well, okay, but I don't get it. Yeah, oh, no, <laughs> that, ha- that happened to me. There's one specific moment that where that really happened, but there's yeah. even a part where a character gets outfitted with like a futuristic wheelchair, and I was like, is that a thing? Is he going to be well, a villain? Exactly. <laughs> every little thing, I was like, oh, every time they would just focus on like a random extra, I was like, oh, is that a is that like a character? Is that like, a thing? Just, yeah, is that a thing? So, <laughs> you know, is that a way to watch a movie? And is that a movie that a lot of people want to watch? I don't know. Yeah, and but. I think that the world of superhero fans, like there are so many more people who have seen the Dark Knight or Avengers than have read any of those comics or who know anything mm-hmm. that Aquaman does. So if you're right. going to be building this world and you want everyone to go see it on the scale that like everyone went to see Star Wars, you need to make those stories stand on their own. Yeah, and I don't know... I don't know if this... But one, Wonder Woman did. So Wonder it's Woman proof did. that they yeah. can't... Like, it can it's happen. proof that it can happen. But yeah. Uh, yeah, this is just the very beginning of a very large machine. So uh, Another machine... And then we get we get Civil War like next month. I know, yeah. So. The Captain America, the, the Captain America movie that is also just an Avengers movie comes out next month, and Captain America fights Iron Man. So it's a same bros fighting bros. We're it's just a, it's a tough spring. It's their world, we're just living in it. I guess. <laughs> And now we're going to close with our 100% silly, not meant to be taken seriously exercise just because it's still March. If the Oscars were held tomorrow, only based on what's already been released in the United States this year, uh, Richard, who would win Best Supporting Actor? Well, in in the spirit of honesty, we should say that we originally wanted to do Best Actor, <laughs> but we realized that, that we don't quite have enough uh, leading men to, to go off of. And there, but where there, whereas there are quite a good number of supporting male roles so far in the middle of March that we're in, uh, that we've seen. So I would say Alden Aaron Reich and Hail Caesar, who he's been kind of simmering for a few years now. He His first movie role was in a Francis Ford Coppola movie that nobody saw, and then in a YA thing called Beautiful Creatures. But he was, which we like. Which we like, and he's very charming in, and he's ex- extremely charming and capable in Hail Caesar. He sings, and it's not his singing voice, but he, oh, he sells it nonetheless, and he does a, a fun lasso trick with some spaghetti. And Yeah, and yeah. he's kind of the born person everyone came out of the movie talking about, and he's now on the short list to play the young Han Solo in that movie, mm-hmm, so uh, mm-hmm. he clearly has gotten a boost out of that. Honestly, like, I know it's insane, but like if there were to be a supporting actor campaign for him at the end of the year, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know that it would go that far, but yeah. like... 
But no, I mean, I could see, you know, if that movie gets in the conversation at all, that he would be sort of at the top of it. Yeah. And I have to say, when he, in 2009, when he was up and coming, I met him once. Oh. He was sitting on my apartment stoop with some friends, and I recognized him from the Francis Ford Coppola movie. <laughs> and we talked for a little bit, and that was it. But he was very nice. Well, so there you go. I'm a fan. Good on you. The other one that I thought of was John Goodman in 10 Cloverfield Lane, That's which I think one. someone at least has said, like, this is the first Oscar-worthy performance of 2016, so it's not just me. Um, but he's kind of doing this, like, villainous, but, like, on the knife's edge of villainous or questionable as this man who's kind of kidnapped this woman into this underground bunker and he says to protect her from something outside but what is outside um and he's this kind of fatherly figure and he's john goodman he's a a fatherly figure we've been watching him for decades you know from roseanne onwards but he's doing a really interesting job subverting his image in that way and it's a really committed interesting performance that only kind of gets more nuance as it goes along yeah and supporting actor has long been you know good to villains yeah. So it could work in his favor. I mean, it won't. But Yeah, no, the crazy thing is that John Goodman has never been nominated for an Oscar, which is Yeah. I mean, really I'm trying to think of what he would have been nominated for. I mean, there for. was definitely Buzz for Flight, which is not his best performance. Oh, uh, right, at but he was good in like, that. Yeah. That was a chance he would have had for it. But like all these Coen Brothers movies that you kind of want. Yeah, he's been yeah, he's been in those and um but yeah, no, that would be interesting. It, it won't happen. But maybe he'll get some sort of like Saturn Award nomination or something. Or Golden Globe. Or like Golden Globe. who knows? Yeah. I mean it's like a, you know, it's a independent spirit. It's a hit movie that came out in early March so like its legs will be kind of debatable but I'd like to see it happen that does it for this week's Little Gold Men thank you so much for listening and please if you can leave us a review or a rating on iTunes it really helps us find new listeners and we really appreciate it you can find us all writing about everything including award season sometimes at VanityFair.com and you can follow us on Twitter I'm at Katie Rich in absence Mike Hogan is at Mike underscore Hogan he'll be back with us soon I promise and how about you Richard I'm Rylaws R-I-L-A-W-S this episode was produced by Zach Dinerstein and edited by Tim Einenkel and thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply and this week's award for inadvertent defense of Donald Trump's hair goes to Christine Lottie um you know it wasn't so mad and swirly back 20 years ago, honestly. It was it, like it is today. <laughs> <laughs>